Welcome to Integrated Brain Health. My name is Dr. Robert Coben. I'm a clinical neuropsychologist and am board certified in QEG technology and neuromodulation. This is our Neuroscience Rounds podcast. You will get a glimpse into our training programs where we talk about neuroscience, technology, neurofeedback, neuropsychology, and other related matters. We hope this helps with your knowledge base and ability to intervene and help patients successfully. On to the podcast. Hello, welcome to NeuroRounds. This is round 15. I'm Dr. Christy Snyder calling, and today we'll be talking about cognitive decline. So why is there cognitive decline in the first place? Well, one reason is that there's a lack of evolutionary pressure to remove it. So um, obviously reproductive age happens before dementia and cognitive decline sets in. So there's no uh, pressure to remove it via natural selection. No direct pressure, but there is indirect pressure. As civilization emerged, there was a benefit to having older people who were functional and could remember things, so they could remember how to farm and build buildings. And the better your little village was, the more likely you were going to reproduce and have a larger, larger population. So that's why there's not more cognitive decline, is that while there's not direct evolutionary pressure, it was still beneficial uh, to have older people who were still uh, very vibrant and functioning. Um, another reason is because most cells in your body renew over time. They have various intervals. So the stomach and intestines are subject to all that stomach acid. Um, they replace pretty quickly, about every five days. Um, skin every two to four weeks. Red blood cells is about four months. Liver, 150 to 500 days. It's also one of the only um, organs that does regenerate. So if you don't, if you donate, if you donate half of it, it'll grow back. Uh, the bones uh, every 10 years, but the brain cells um, on the whole don't do this. Uh, they stay with you your entire life. There is some neurogenesis, but generally speaking, the cell body of the neuron um, stays with you as you age. What happens during brain maturity and learning is you have these sprouting of synapses and synaptic pruning. In fact, most of the brain growth uh, that happens in infants is synaptic pruning. So they have all these connections to all these different cells and they're trying to get rid of the ones that aren't important and strengthen the ones that are. But it's this constant need to grow synapses and uh, take them away, prune them, that might prove toxic over time. In fact, the regions of the brain that are most affected and affected first by cognitive decline are these ones that have the higher baseline for uh, neuroplasticity or this changing of uh, synapses. And those are, of course, the hippocampus. So what do you see in typical aging? Um, generally, you see a slower gait, shorter stride. Um, you have sluggish postural re reflexes, so you're gonna fall more often. Um, you have slower, you have less slow wave and REM sleep. Um, you can't really retain new information as well as you could when you're younger. Um, you can't do rapid word naming as well, or naming as many words to start with a single letter. Um, so that's a kind of decline in general intelligence. And overall, the kind of anatomical changes you see are decreased brain weight, so loss of neurons and myelination. Um, they have fewer neurons in the substantia nigra, locus virilis, and pons. And you have a reduction in the precursors to dopamine and norepinephrine, which are neurotransmitters. 
So the first stage you have is mild cognitive impairment. And this occurs in about 10 to 20% of people who are over the age of 65. And you start seeing this in the interrhinal and hippocampus sites. These are, of course, the regions that are associated with memory. We talked before about how the hippocampus is really important for, consolidate, for consolidating memory. The interrhinal cortex is kind of a hub. It interfaces between the neocortex and the hippocampus. It's important for memory navigation and time perception. So uh, for people who have mild cognitive impairment, they have a smaller interrhinal uh, cortex and hippocampus than their age-matched um, healthy people. And also you have uh, more abnormality to the white tracts, it's the myelinated neuron um, axons. So what is dementia? So you go a step further from mild cognitive impairment then you get into dementia. And that is a progressive decline in mental function, memory, and acquired intellectual skills. It usually occurs after 45 and mostly after 65. About 11% of people over 65 show mild to severe impairments. And as, as you go over 75, the incidence increases about 2% each year. 70% of all dementia is due to Alzheimer's. Um, and 15% of Alzheimer's is due to strokes. Yeah, you see generally kind of thin gyri and enlarged ventricles. There is a very strong genetic component to uh, who gets dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, it's associated with chromosome 21. Um, nearly everyone who has Down syndrome associated with chromosome 21 uh, develop Alzheimer's if they, are, if they live over the age of 35. There is some overlap between depression and dementia. They might present similarly. Um, because with depression you have this preoccupation with mental pain it makes you kind of less able to concentrate on what's going on and so that can manifest some memory and, and attention pro problems. There's also some physiological processes that are associated with depression that have an effect on memory. So what you'll see uh, during testing is uh, depressed people have problems registering the information. So it doesn't really get in. There's poor depth of processing so they're not just paying attention to the world around them. Whereas Alzheimer's patients have trouble retrieving information that has been there. Depression individuals will exaggerate difficulties, they'll give up quickly, they'll be like, I can't remember, I don't know. But Alzheimer's patients will give false positives, they'll just confabulate or make something up. And then they also have a lot of misspellings, uh, whereas people who are depressed don't have misspellings as much. We actually had a patient who uh, we had just recently who in one day she left her keys at home, uh, she left her phone at home and then left her keys in her car and we had to change your protocol to kind of deal with more depression issues uh, because um, our doctor thought that that was maybe what's the problem here is more depression than um, the cognitive impairment. So there are stages in Alzheimer's disease. In the initial stages, you'll have just kind of repeating yourself often, you're forgetting names, you're displacing objects. Um, it selectively affects recent declarative knowledge. So again, the hippocampus helps you to consolidate knowledge. So if you can't consolidate it, and you can't uh, retrieve it. Um, you start kind of detaching from things you like, your profession, social activities, you kind of become lax uh, and complacent, and then you lose interest in eating, drinking, and libido. So you'll see some weight loss. Um, in the intermediate stage, you have deficits in language, reasoning, spatial orientation, um, failure to store new information uh, for more than a few minutes, you have attentional deficits, so you're unable to uh, maintain a coherent stream of thought, or sequence goal-directed activities. You'll have some aphasias, like I said, spelling, 
word binding, um, your hygiene won't be kept up as well. You'll start to have some delusions and hallucinations. In late stage, you'll have incontinence. You can't recognize your family members anymore. Uh, difficulty eating with mobility, pretty much everything, cognitive, behavior, psychiatric problems, they all deteriorate and eventually you die probably of uh, cardiopulmonary issues or an, a complication from an infection. So what causes Alzheimer's? So um, one of the big biggies is amyloid plaques. So this is a byproduct of the breakdown of amylon, am amyloid precursor protein. Especially toxic is beta amyloid 42. And what happens is it uh, levels build up and they clump together and they form plaques that collect between neurons and so that disrupts uh, cell function. You also have these tau tangles. So in um, healthy cells, uh, these is, uh, tau is really important because it helps to support the microtubules and neurons. And it's gonna help kind of nutrients transport within the cell. Um, what happens is the tau proteins accumulate inside their neurons and form tang tangles, and so they can't transport nutrients within the cell as well. Also, uh, chronic inflammation. Uh, so microglia and astrocytes uh, don't clear away waste and debris as much as they should. And they think this is mostly related to a failure in gene trim too. Uh, of course, there's also vascular contributions, so you have reduced um, blood flow and oxygenation to the brain, and then there's a breakdown of the blood-brain barrier, so it uh, prevents glucose from getting to the brain, and also to again uh, clear out all the stuff that needs to be cleared out, so that causes inflammation, um, which again is uh, really bad. So Alzheimer's cannot be definitively diagnosed until an until there's an autopsy, but there are some biological markers that are pretty uh, indicative of Alzheimer's. So you'll have hypometabolism in the parietotemporal region. You can see that in a PET scan. You'll have loss of hippocampal volume. You can see that in, in an MRI. Uh, the presence of E4 alleles, this is a genetic uh, contribution, has to deal with uh, how the neurons express themselves and again clearing of um, you know, proteins and stuff in the brain. Also in cerebrospinal fluid, you'll see a decrease in the levels of amyloid fragments because they're not being cleared away as much as they should. I'm sorry, a decrease in that, and then an increase in the tau proteins. So what's happening um, in a rhinal cortex is typically the earliest site of atrophy. Like I said before, it's the interface between the neocortex and the hippocampus. Uh, that's followed by the hippocampus, amygdala, and the parahippocampus gyrus. Um, about three years before even receiving a diagnosis, the hippocampus volume will be reduced by about 10%. And by the time of clinical diagnosis, the whole brain volume is down by about 6%. Uh, the entorhinal uh, volume is down by 20 to 30%. Hippocampal volumes are down by 15 to 25%. Um, and then about every year, the hippocampal uh, volumes decrease about 3 to 5%. There's also a loss of choline, which is a precursor to acetylcholine in the hippocampus. Um, 60 to 90% loss, which is pretty substantial. So this is a picture of a normal brain, uh, and a picture of a uh, brain that of someone who died of Alzheimer's. So you can definitely see it looks a bit more shriveled. You have loss of volume, um, much more space there. And this image, uh, they had they gave them something that um, 
lights up the amyloid plaques. So in the Alzheimer's patient here, all this red and yellow indicates a buildup of amyloid plaques relative to a control that does not have that. So there are other kinds of dementias. Like I said, most of dementia is Alzheimer's, but there are others. Uh, for instance, Lewy body dementia accounts for about 15% of all dementia. This is what Robin Williams had. It's often comorbid with Parkinson's or has very similar um, symptoms because it um, is due to a loss of dopamine. Um, so you'll have the hunched posture, rigid muscles, have a shuffling walk, trouble initiating movement, all kind of Parkinsonian symptoms there. You'll have changes in thinking, thinking and reasoning. You'll have confusion and alertness that kind of varies. So you have some, you'll have some really good days, <clears throat> excuse me, and some really bad days. You'll have hallucinations and delusions and some sleep disorders um, where you kind of act out your dreams. Differences between Lewy body dementia and Alzheimer's. Um, in Lewy body dementia, you'll have more atrophy at the hypothalamus, basal forebrain, and midbrain, caudate, and putamen. Um, but the uh, medial temporal lobe and hippocampus will be relatively intact. Um, you'll also have some abnormalities in the visual association cortex. Um, that's why you have the hallucinations uh, <clears throat> that you have in Lewy body and not in Alzheimer's. It's also frontotemporal dementia. And this is about, uh, accounts for about 5% of dementias. This is very hereditary. Um, in about half of these cases, there's a family history of uh, this kind of dementia. So it can affect the frontal part, as you see in this picture here, the very front part of the brain, kind of looks like the Alzheimer's brain, where it's kind of shriveled, whereas the back part of the brain is mostly intact. Um, for the frontal degeneration, it'll affect personality and behavior more. You'll have fixed mood and behavior. They'll appear really selfish and unable to adapt to new situations, uh, loss of empathy, emotional warmth, emotional responses, lack of motivation, abandoning hobbies, um, loss of normal inhibitions, you'll be talking to strangers and just doing crazy things, uh, difficulty in reasoning, judgment, organization and planning, they'll be distractible, impulsive, also there'll be a change in the eating patterns, so at Alzheimer's you see them not eat as much, but in this they'll have overeating and craving sweet food so they might gain weight. It's also a decline in self-care and personal hygiene. However, if this affects the temporal regions, this is going to affect the um, language regions. So you'll have the uh, kind of lose the ability to assign meaning to words, you'll have reading, spelling, and comprehension problems, uh, difficulty finding words in people's names. Um, you have other dementias, so it's a similar one, a primary progressive aphasia. This is a gradual and isolated degradation of language function. So this is a mirrored image. So you'll see the atrophy is actually on the left side of the brain, even though it appears to be on the right side here. Um, these patients may also have acalcula or ideomotor apraxia. So it's where you can't mime what to do with a given object. So if you say, what do you do with scissors? You don't do this action. You have other dimensions like progressive visuospatial dysfunction. Um, this one you see here, the problem is in the parietal occipital region. There's this big gap here. Um, the syndromes are balanced. The symptoms are a balanced syndrome where you're unable to perceive the visual field as a whole. So this task here, uh, this is a bigger uh, image when the, when the patient's interacting with it. But they said to circle all the A's. And you can see all the little A's, or most of the little A's are circled because that requires one fixation. 
But these big A's are not circles because that requires combining two different parts of the visual field. They're not able to do that, so they can't see the visual field as a whole. They can only see one object that they're looking at. Um, they also have Gerstmann syndrome, agraphia, calcula, finger agnosia. So if I point to a finger, they can't say which finger that is. And left-right disorientation. Um, again, simultaneous agnosia, kind of the same thing as balance, where you can't perceive the scene as a whole. You know, spatial orientation, dress, dressing apraxia, and hemi neglect, so they'll just not wash or dress the left side of their body. You also have alcohol-related dementia, the Korsakoff's disease. Uh, we talked about this once before in an earlier round. So this usually affects men over the age of 45 who have a long history of alcohol abuse. They think it might be due to a lack of B1. Uh, the symptoms are, of course, inability to learn new things, personality changes, problems with memory. Um, you can't really think very clearly. Um, tasks require planning, organization, your social skills, your problems with balance, and then a decreased initiative and spontaneity. There's also HIV-related dementia. And this actually occurs in 7% of people who are not taking anti-HIV drugs. And so they think that uh, what happens here is that immune cells are kind of reservoirs for the HIV virus. And there's an indirect effect of the virus through the immune cells onto the nerve cells. In the early stage, you'll have difficulty concentrating, impaired memory, slowed thinking, can't really keep track of your daily activities, you'll be irritable, unsteady gait, poor coordination, and depression. As you move on to the intermediate stage, you'll have more motor dysfunction and muscle weakness, kind of be, have slower responses and be dropping objects, uh, impaired walking and balance, you'll start having a little bit of apathy, poor concentration and attention, and you'll start reversing words and numbers. In late stage, You'll have incontinence, um, spastic gait, again, apathy, withdrawal, you know, psychosis, and mania. So what do you do for mild cognitive impairment and all the kind of dementias? Um, one of the best treatments that's used most um, for medication is acetylcholinesterase inhibitors. These are drugs like uh, Aircept or Exelon, and they slow the breakdown of acetylcholine, which is involved in memory and judgment. Um, and this kind of supports communication among cells by keeping acetylcholine <coughs> high. You also have Namenda, <coughs> excuse me, which is an NMDA antagonist. So it kind of regulates glutamate activity, keeps it where it needs to be. There are also some clinical trials of some very exciting drugs that are, um, are trying to remove the amyloid plaques in the brain. There was one uh, that looked really um, encouraging. However, the FDA did not approve it because there's a lack of evidence for its efficacy. However, there's another one um, that's um, being researched by Washington University and Denali Therapeutics um, that is, has been shown to reduce amyloid plaques in mice. So that's pretty exciting. Um, there's also um, treatments for the kind of uh, symptoms that are related. Uh, so SSRIs are for antidepressant and it'll help low mood and irritability. You have anti-anxiety drugs like Ativan uh, to kind of release uh, restlessness. You also have antipsychotics for feelings of aggression, agitation, and hallucinations. Interestingly, also estrogen hormone replacement. So ovarian hormones play a role in promoting the synthesis of acetylcholine, which I mentioned is really important. In menopause, you have this acute drop in these hormones, and they think that's why women are more prone to getting Alzheimer's than men. 
So you can actually reduce the risk of Alzheimer's by getting estrogen replacement um, drugs. So that's interesting. Um, but also, here at Integrate Brain Health, we have our head-on program um, that we use. Uh, has been very uh, helpful for people who have mild cognitive impairment and all kinds of dementias. So I just want to discuss a case study uh, very quickly. We have these on our website if you want to check out more information. But this person in particular, a 74-year-old female presented with memory problems. Um, she had problems remembering past events, episodic memory, uh, lost, uh, getting lost when she was driving. She came in and uh, we did a battery of neuropsychological tests and found that she was deficient in kind of verbal processing, IO naming, visual representation, and motor control. And then we did a QEEG and we found regions of concern that were associated with mental flexibility, memory, uh, symbolic recognition, language processing, self-awareness, also coordinated uh, motor pro uh, programming. So we thought she was a great candidate for our head-on program, uh, which has three different components. So we have neurofeedback, um, which we all know would do well here. Also photobiomodulation. So a picture of this here. Essentially light is directed at certain parts on your head and it affects the um, mitochondria in the neuron neurons. Um, kind of makes it um, function better. And then we have uh, nutrition. Um, I mentioned before that inflammation is a really big component of dementia. So our nutrition program is designed to reduce inflammation. Uh, so it's a great, uh, kind of very coherent, co co uh, uh, cohesive uh, program that has three different components. So this person came at a three month follow-up and you can see here the initial scores are in blue and the follow-up are in orange. So there is a lots of improvement in a visual reproduction, uh, logical memory, item naming, information recall, and motor control just after three months of being on the uh, three different prongs of our head-on program. And these um, improvements in testing was also, um, you can see it in her brain. So we did a three-month follow-up EEG as well. So here you see the dark red regions are um, have increased uh, frequencies here. And then a three month follow-up you see it's really gone down. And so we don't have as much excess three months later as we did initially. Um, and there are other um, case studies on our website if you're interested in learning more about how this is helping uh, people here with us. And there's also information on the website about um, how nutrition plays a role and how photobiomodulation works as well. Thank you for joining us today. Feel free to subscribe to the Neuroscience Rounds podcast for future episodes. You might also enjoy our sister podcast, Let's Head On, with myself and Dr. Ann Stevens, where we discuss the interaction between neuroscience, neuropsychology, and physical and mental well-being. Please feel free to reach out to us at integratebrainhealth.com.